Chapter One of The Lost King of Oz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Phil Chenevere. The Lost King of Oz by Ruth Plumley Thompson. Chapter One In Jolly Kimbaloo. The King of Kimbaloo was kinda jolly, and kinda jolly was the King of Kimbaloo. And no wonder he was kinda jolly. He had made a great fortune in buttons, and had one of the coziest castles in Oz. It was set in the very center of a thick buttonwood in the Gillikin country, and had more chimneys and windows than any dozen castles I can think of. The castle owed much of its coziness to Rosa Mary, the quaint little queen of Kimbaloo, who kept it spick and spandy and simply blooming with flowers. This she could easily do, for in the castle garden grew a simply enormous bouquet bush, where old and new-fashioned bouquets blossomed in bewildering profusion. There were violets and rosebuds edged with lace paper, lovely red roses tied with satin bows daisies and daffodils, pinks and larkspur, and every other sort of delightful nosegay you could ever imagine. No matter how many were gathered, others immediately blossomed, so that Rosa Mary had made almost as much of a fortune in bouquets as Kinda had in buttons, and could have jelly roll every lunchtime if she cared to. There were some who thought the castle, built as it was of dark purple buttonwood, studded with rows and rows of bright buttons, extremely odd. But it suited Kinda Jolly and Rosa Mary right down to the cellar, and the five hundred inhabitants of Kimbaloo thought it extremely magnificent. No doubt they were right. However that may be, anyone who had seen Kinda Jolly and Rosa Mary walking in the gardens on pleasant summer evenings would have had to admit they were the most lovable little couple in the land. Kinda was short and fat, and Rosa was short and merry. They both dressed in the purple costumes of the Gillikins, but their robes were trimmed all over with buttons that chinked delightfully when they walked, and almost dazzled one by the brilliance of their colors. King Kinda's crown was made of silver buttons to match his whiskers and Rosa's was made of gold to match her curls. Both had cheerful dispositions to match their crowns, so that life in Kimbaloo was cheerful for everyone. The Kimballs themselves lived in tiny cottages scattered about under the trees, and as they were all girls and boys, they were all happy and light-hearted as birds in the buttonwood. Half of them worked for the king, and half for the queen. Yes, every morning, the two hundred and fifty merry little maids would run into the castle garden, where Rosa Mary would fill their arms with bouquets from the bouquet bush. Then away down the Queen's Highway that led through the wood into the Winky Country they would hurry, and so charming and quaint were the Queen's little flower girls, no one could help buying their posies. So by noontime they would come back with empty arms and heavy pockets, and nothing to do for the rest of the day but swing in the hammocks or dance in the gardens. The boys' work was almost as delightful. Every morning they would scamper into the buttonwood with Kinda Jolly, and shake down a good crop of buttons. 
Then each button boy would fill his button box with a gay assortment and set off down the king's highway to sell them to the good dames in the Gillikin country. There are no stores in Oz, so they never had any trouble in disposing of their wares, especially the collar buttons. The men of the Gillikin country were as good at losing collar buttons as men in your own town. So by noontime the button boxes would be full of coins, and the button boys would come racing back to the castle with nothing more to do for the rest of the day but play quoits or button-button who's got the button. Altogether life in Kimbaloo was as jolly as possible. Indeed, there was so much laughing to be done that King Kinda had a town laugher to help out on particularly funny days and to keep him from busting all the buttons from his purple vest. Yes, sir, everybody in Kimbaloo was laughing and happy, excepting one, and that person was the king's cook. Mombi never laughed at all, and how she came to cook I will tell you at once. She was not a native of Kimbaloo, and, though no one in the kingdom knew it, Mombi was really an old Gillikin witch. Long ago, for her wicked transformations, she had been deprived of her magic powers by Glinda the Good Sorceress, and given enough to live on honestly and comfortably. But after you have been a witch all of your life, it is dreadfully hard to settle down to being just an ugly old woman. Mombi had stood it as long as she could, and then one day she had closed up her little hut at the foot of the Gillikin Mountains, taken her crooked stick, and set out to seek a position as cook in one of the castles of Oz, for she felt that only among a great many kettles and cauldrons could she ever be contented or at home. Besides being cross and crooked, Mombi was so ugly and ill-tempered that most of the castle doors were slammed in her face. But one day she had come to Kimbaloo. Hobbling through the buttonwood, she found King Kinda Jolly under a shoe-button tree. Falling upon her knees, Mombi begged him so hard to let her remain as cook that the gentle old monarch finally consented, though much against the advice of Haho, the town laugher. But Kinda thinking her a poor and needy old woman, had kept her nevertheless, and as Mombi, like many another old witch, was an excellent cook, he had never regretted his bargain. In spite of her wonderful cooking, no one had ever grown really fond of her, but she was treated with consideration and respect, and allowed to do pretty much as she pleased in the castle kitchen. So, while everyone else in the kingdom was being useful and happy, Mombi went muttering and sputtering about among the pots and kettles, and every minute when she was not cooking she was trying to remember her magic formulas, mixing pepper with onions, onions with cinders, and cinders with suspender buttons. But stir as she would, nothing ever came of it for Mombi had forgotten every which word she had ever known. She knew a good many other words, however, and said very nearly all of them when her magic failed to work, flinging her stick into the air and hopping up and down with rage and disappointment. But as she never allowed anyone in the kitchen but herself 
there was no way to witness her shocking behavior until Snip, one of the king's button boys, climbing through the window one afternoon to steal a cookie, caught her right in the middle of a frightful incantation. "'Salt, vinegar, mustard, mutton! The king shall be a collar button!' That was what Snip heard Mombi mumble, bending over a peppery mixture on the fire. So dreadful was her expression as she scowled into the frying pan that Snip tumbled from the window sill into a rose bush. Picking himself up, he rushed down the garden path, convinced that the king was done for. But there was Kinda Jolly, with his silver crown, walking calmly under the button trees. Snip looked again to be sure Kinda was not turning into a collar button, and then, a little ashamed of being so easily frightened, he crept back to the ledge to see what Mombi would do next. He was just in time to see her fling the frying pan down the cellar steps and kick over a basket of potatoes. Then, grumbling and snarling and rubbing her shins, she limped into the garden to fetch the goose Kinda Jolly had bought for dinner. For magic or no magic, the cooking had to be attended to. The goose had come straight from a neighboring farm and was still in the flimsy wooden crate. Scowling and scolding, Mombi slammed the crate on the table and ripped off the top slats. As soon as the slats were removed, the goose thrust its head out of the crate and peered about the kitchen. As he looked at the big white bird, Snip had a feeling that there was something human about him. The old witch cook made a grab at the bobbing white head. Help! squawked the luckless bird, as Mombi seized it roughly by the feathers. Then, catching a really good look at Mombi, it reared up its neck till its eyes were on a level with her own. "'You!' cried the goose, so shrilly that Snip's hair rose up and wavered to and fro under his stiff little hat. He was not surprised to hear the goose talk, for all beasts and birds in the land of Oz converse. But its next words were so strange and so mysterious, the little button boy nearly lost his balance again. Woman, hissed the goose, thrusting its bill under Mombi's long nose. Woman, what have you done with the king? End of chapter one.